It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. The subject of suicide is a difficult subject, and we have a special author with us, Dr. Albert Shee. He's the author of Grieving a Suicide, A Loved One's Search for Comfort, Answers, and Hope. And Dr. Shee is a senior editor for IVP Books at Intervarsity Press, where he acquires and develops books in areas such as culture, discipleship, church, ministry, and mission. And welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Good. You sound like you're in a good mood today, but this is a difficult subject that weighs heavy on people's suicide. And so there's so many different areas that you touch. Uh, a lot of people are thanking you for writing this book. And so what's the most important area, do you think, that we should begin with when we talk about suicide? Well, first, I think people need to know that if they have lost a loved one to suicide, that they are not alone. Uh, there are about 42,000 suicides in the U.S. every year, and each one leaves behind somewhere from 6 to 10 on average survivors, uh, parents, children, spouses, loved ones. So that's hundreds of thousands of people every year that are going through the same experience. And it is the kind of loss that makes you feel it devastates you, and you feel completely at a loss. You feel alone. But uh, if you if you have lost someone by this loss, uh, you should you should know that you are not alone in this. Yeah, and it seems very contrary too to the person that you expect. This person, mom or dad or whomever, is going to take care of me. Uh, let's just say if it's a parent, and then you could actually be right there to witness the actual suicide. And what are some of the different things psychologically and emotionally that a suicide does to someone? Well, a suicide is what counselors call a complicated grief hmm. uh, that, or a complicated bereavement. It, when we lose someone, we, there's always the, the normal grief of loss, of losing someone. Uh, and that can be normal when there's an expected loss, uh, old age or, or terminal illness. But on top of that is an additional trauma of the suicide. And psychologists have said that that the experience of trauma of a suicide is similar to that of of a wartime experience uh, soldiers with PTSD and so grievers are actually grappling with two realities grief and trauma Uh, grief is normal Uh, the trauma is not and so it hits us like a one-two punch yeah and you never get over it and so what are some of the I guess did, did you have a support group I mean with your dad that committed suicide and um, could you tell us a little bit about that but not only that but uh, what kind of support did you need well I did have uh, family and friends and church to walk through this with me uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for the community that surrounds us we are all um, members of the body of Christ we, we cannot do this alone uh, my story is this uh, that my father was 58 years old He was an electrical engineer, a PhD, a brilliant man, but he had experienced a stroke. And while he survived the stroke, uh, it left him partly debilitated on the left side of his body. And he was doing rehab and making recovery, but he spun into a clinical depression and he started to lose all sight of uh, purpose. He lost all sense of hope. He felt that he could not go on. And so one night he went to his room and uh, was unattended and took his own life. And mm-hmm. my mother discovered the body. My mother was a nurse um, and was acting as his caregiver at the time. And so she was devastated uh, as, as, a, as a wife and, and as a nurse and caregiver. And so she experienced something that's very common for, for survivors is, is a survivor's guilt. Um, she felt that she should have done something. She should have uh, uh, 
been able to prevent the, the suicide. And she actually did all the right things. Uh, she had seen the warning signs. Uh, she had experienced depression, seen, seen the depression. And so she had actually gotten um, the uh, weapons out of the house. She had gotten um, uh, him to observation at the hospital. But even so, she was unable to prevent the suicide. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be the most difficult thing in the world. And, I mean, I don't know. I, how do you deal with... How do you deal with it now compared to when you first dealt with it? And what are some of the stages that you went through? Well, one never fully gets over any kind of loss like this. Um, it, it, you do, it does change over the years. It's far more immediate in those first days, weeks, months, that first year. Um, with complicated grief, there's a whole range of emotions that are experienced. Um, and some people may experience deep grief and wailing and tears. Others may feel numb. Uh, they may just shut down emotionally. We feel a mix of uh, the, the survivor's guilt and also shame and stigma. Uh, we don't want to talk about this. Especially Christians in some circles feel like, oh, we shouldn't talk about things like depression or mental illness or suicide. And and we also feel conflicted because we we feel anger and rage against our loved one for having done this to themselves, for having done this to us and li leaving us in this way. If it, had, if, it, if it had been a murder, we could rail against the murderer and grieve our loved one. But in this case, uh, our loved one is the murderer, and so we rage against them and grieve them deeply at the same time, and so we feel very conflicted. Yeah, because a lot of people who are on the other end where it's been done to them or they feel the abuse of it in a sense and uh, that I guess it's hard for them to feel that there was any other way, perhaps, or maybe there could have been a better way, I should say. And uh, does that change in a person's mind where they figure, you know what, maybe uh, I understand a little bit better what they were going through or I can or is it some people say I'll, I'll never understand why they did that? Well, that's right. There there is uh, there are always these haunting why questions? Why did this happen? Why did they do this? Uh, and what's so uh, uh, what leaves it so open-ended is that they, we can never know for sure. Uh, only one in four suicides leaves behind a suicide note of any kind, and even that may not be a accurate representation of what was going on in their mind at the time. Uh, so we always have these why questions. And what has been helpful for me to understand in the years after is that my father did not do this to hurt us. He did not intend to leave us, uh, to cause us pain. He was, for whatever reason, so much in his own pain that he could not see any alternative. And so his focus was on ending his own pain. Uh, and even though that doesn't excuse his actions, it at least gives me a better sense of empathy and understanding that, oh, okay. And, and something that uh, my, my mother and I suspect is that my father thought that his medical bills were bankrupting our family. Hmm. And that wasn't the case. Uh, we had good health insurance. But he thought that uh, the, he was becoming a burden to the family, and he thought that uh, the family would be better off without him. And so... If that was his state of mind, then we can understand. Uh, I have a, a little bit of a better understanding of why he would have taken this act. And really, when we ask the why questions, we are asking not so much if, if 
as if we can figure out if we just find out the pinpoint the the cause the answer then we'll find comfort well that's uh, a bit of a misleading assumption because for one thing there is no one specific reason why uh, a suicide happens there's always a range of factors and triggers um about two-thirds of suicides uh, have had some background of mental illness or depression, as well as other factors that may be sociological or economic or cultural. So there's there's lots of things going on. But regardless of the the triggers or causes or factors, what we need to understand is that finding out the reason why finding out a reason why will not necessarily give us the peace or comfort we're looking for. What we need not, is not so much explanations as it is someone to attend to our brokenness, our broken heart. It's as if we were to go to the doctor and with a broken leg, say, and to say, uh, doctor, why did this happen? And the doctor says, well, you were running and you tripped and you fell and you hit your leg at this angle and it broke your bone. But if they don't set the bone, uh, that doesn't do any good. Understanding what happened is part of the picture, but what's more important is that we need a doctor to set the bone. We need the great physician to heal our broken heart. Amen. You mentioned morbid, though it may seem, retelling the story of our loved one's death can help us through our loss. In some strange way, it sustains us. And you mentioned after watching her 20-something son jump to his death from a 14-story terrace. One mother said, what I wanted was to talk and talk, go over it again and again, and that kept me alive in some strange way, and I still don't understand. And then it says in the book, telling the story is a form of lament, of ordering our grief, and it helps us uh, process the events and move beyond denial, which a lot of people do. And speaking of which, of course, I want you to elaborate. Uh, how come we're afraid to talk about this. Is this contrary to the way that I guess we're supposed to, nobody's supposed to commit suicide, people do, and why are we so afraid to talk about it? Well, it does feel like an admission of failure. It does feel shameful to say, oh, this happened to my family, this happened to my loved one. And so some families never talk about these things, um, and especially in, in some Christian circles. It's, it's seen as something that we don't want to think about. We don't want to encourage others to think about, and so we just don't talk about it. Frederick Buechner um, lost his father to suicide when he was a young boy, and the family never talked about it. They never talked about his death, um, and the side effect was that they never talked about his life, and in, in many ways he was forgotten. He was erased from their family history, and it wasn't until decades later that Buechner was able to come to grips with this and to tell the secrets, to tell the story of his father's death in a way that, that uh, honored and practiced remembrance of his father. Scripture encourages us to grieve and to mourn honestly. Uh, Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Jesus himself wept at the death of uh, Lazarus. And so scripture encourages us to, to mourn, to grieve, to get out what's going on inside, to help process what is the turmoil that we're experiencing. Uh, if we don't, if we deny that and stuff it down, uh, that that's counterproductive. And scripture gives us examples of the practice of lament. In the Psalms of Lament, there is this pattern of uh, Israel expressing their grief to God. How long, O oh Lord? Oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are things as broken and painful as they are? And in the Psalms of Lament, uh, 
it's a way of us to order and structure our grief. Because grief, by its very nature, is a formless, nebulous kind of thing. We, we feel as if we're in a fog. We feel like we're going in circles. But in the Psalms of Lament, we direct our grief and order it and structure it in a way that helps us through it. So we express our pain to God, and that's the right place to direct it because he can handle it. And we 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 express god this is not the way it's supposed to be it's a broken world and i am experiencing this horrible horrible pain and grief and we we wish it were not this way but this is the way it is uh but then in the psalms there's a pivot halfway through where we say but yet i will place my hope in you but yet i will trust in you because in the process of rehearsing our grief to god Hmm. We are reminded of God's presence with us in the past. God has been faithful in the past. Uh, he has acted on our behalf in the past and will continue to act on our behalf now. And so the Psalms conclude with a statement of confidence and hope that God has heard our cry, even in the midst of this horrible, horrible pain and loss. And he is present with us and will act on our behalf. Yeah, I think about Jesus with Lazarus. And uh, they said to him, you know, Jesus, if you only had been there... You know, Lazarus would have died. You, you could have done something. And uh, I wonder if people think that that the survivors have only had done something different, if only had talked to the person, if only. And uh, I guess that's what I guess rests with people for a very long time. And uh, what, what do you take away with all this? I mean, now that uh, in Solomon, when he says, fear God and keep his commandments, that's the conclusion of the matter. What, how have you concluded about your dad's suicide or suicide in general from when you first, I guess, witnessed or experienced it as far as hearing about it until now? Well, suicide changes us forever. Um, it's one of those events that when it happens, you look back and it divides your life into before and after. And we, we go on uh, as wounded people yet changed. Uh, and and if we are open to God's healing and transformation, that we, we go on as, as he, never fully healed, uh, but in the process of healing. And on, on the other side of such a grief, we find that uh, we may be more sensitive to the suffering in the world. Um, I, I am much more aware of the brokenness of humanity that everybody is going through uh, struggles of one kind or another, and not just issues of depression or mental illness, but but other things. Uh, kids with special needs. My son has autism and Down syndrome. I, I, there, are, all of us uh, mm. struggle with any number of uh, challenges in life, and it does create greater compassion and empathy uh, as we minister to one another and encourage one another to to uh, walk through this life. Life is difficult, uh, but with uh, the Lord's help and God willing, we are able to help one another along. Yeah, and so your book, Grieving a Suicide, A Loved One's Search for Comfort, Answers, and Hope, we've been talking with Dr. Albert Shee. And so what are kind of responses do you get uh, as far as the healing that goes when people have read your book and and uh, and grown from reading the book? Well, I, I am thinking of one person who wrote me uh, who lost her father as well to suicide, and it had been some 25 years, uh, and she said she still grieves him every day in some way. Uh, and, and the pain lingers with us, but they are glad to know that we are not alone in this, that God is present in this. Uh, and one of the 
the aha moments for me was that in the paradox of grief and loss, uh, in the, those darkest places, those painful places, God is actually present with us, even when he seems so far, even when it seems like uh, God is absent, he's actually present with us. And in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke is bookended with two parallel stories. Uh, at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, uh, uh, Mary and Joseph are pilgrims coming home from the Passover feast, and they think Jesus is with them, but he's not. He's back at the temple. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, another two pilgrims are coming home from the Passover feast. Uh, they're walking home on the road to Emmaus, and they have lost Jesus. Jesus has just been crucified in, in Jerusalem, and they are grieving this loss, and they're trying to make sense of it. How could this have happened? We thought he was the one to redeem Israel. And a stranger comes alongside them, and they're talking with him, and they invite him into their home, and in the breaking of the bread, they recognize, oh, this is Jesus. And at the beginning of the gospel, the pilgrims think that Jesus is with them, but he isn't. At the end of the gospel, they think he's not with them, but he is. And that's the beautiful paradox of in the most painful places, when we are experiencing grief and loss and emptiness, God is actually present and walks alongside us. Yeah. Did you ever, I mean, how can I say this? Uh, did you ever feel like a mess? When this happened, I mean, because, I mean, you're very clear about it all. And again, people need to hear this because they need to hear the healing that's in Jesus and, and God's word. But, you know, did, did you feel like a mess for a long time before oh, yeah. you, you did? In the most immediate days and weeks, um, I, I'm saying all this after after years of processing, really, um, and walking through this and journaling and, and uh, counseling with others and community. Um, but, yeah, in those first days and weeks... When it first happens, it, it, it it's such a, dis, a life-altering experience that uh, you just can't make sense of not only the event itself but anything in life. Um, I would I would zone out in conversations. I would I would uh, be paralyzed. Uh, I would sit at my desk and stare out the window, and an hour would pass and I wouldn't notice. I would wake up in the middle of the night with with nightmares, uh, imagining the suicide hmm. over and over. And that that's uh, not very restful to have dreams of, of blood and death. Hmm. And so, yes, all, all of us who grieve, we do so in different ways. Um, and, and different personality types may respond differently. And grievers need to know that all of those things are normal. Uh, the shock, the denial, those are actually part of the ways that our bodies buffer us from some of that experience, uh, from experiencing the, the full force of the pain of grief. Um, so there are stories of uh, parents or, or loved ones that will pick up the gun that was used hmm. and, and stand in front of the mirror and imagine what their loved one had done or stand on the ledge of a balcony and just barely be able to prevent themselves from stepping off. And so, so we do need to be aware, be careful of any of those impulses if if you are struggling with any self-destructive thoughts yourself get help find friends talk to a pastor call the police call a hotline uh don't let what your loved one have what happened to your loved one don't let that happen to you uh, also drug drug abuse and alcohol is also uh, uh common in in situations like this we medicate our pain in different ways mm. and so we it, we do need 
the accountability of friends and family and church uh, to to guard us in these fragile places in those early days. It's amazing the lasting effect that this can have on a person when you think about it, because people are doing it, and because they're, I guess, they have so much pain or fear or anger. It could be all the above, and they can't see getting beyond it. But I don't know if they can see the effect that this is going to have on other people who know and love them. And you mentioned that the effect of one life on so many other people that they might not know just how much they would be missed. That's right. I, 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 when people are experiencing uh, deep clinical depression and suicidal ideation, um, they are just in so much pain that the focus is on alleviating that pain. And, and counselors can help uh, strugglers by either reducing the pain or increasing the capacity to cope with the pain. And so I encourage Christians who have loved ones with with, um, with depression or other struggles, don't be afraid of help. Don't be afraid of counseling. Uh, psychology is our friend. Counseling is our friend. Don't be afraid of mental uh, health and uh medicine and antidepressants, these are actually ways that we minister to one another. We help each other along because sometimes it's brain chemistry. Sometimes it's it's things that uh, that there's no shame in going to the doctor and, and trying to find out what's wrong. Yeah, sometimes I think people think maybe there's a blemish in the family line if that happens. I mean, I know in my family people in the past, they talk about someone who might be homosexual, okay, or someone who did commit suicide or things like that. And and I don't know, maybe it was just back in, in the day, way back in the day, that they think it's, you know, taboo or the uh, unpardonable sin and things like that, rather than just understand. It's kind of weird what happens where people you know, try to put it under the rug. That happened or he was like that or she was like that. And there are no doubt that uh, Catholics are listening to the program, too. And a lot of them think that suicide is the unforgivable sin. But, uh, you know, of course, if you're a Christian, you don't believe that. Can you elaborate on that? Right. Scripture never calls suicide an unforgivable sin. Um, the unforgivable sin is is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit or attributing to to God acts of the devil, and it's just an entirely different discussion than than suicide. Scripture does record seven suicides, uh, all of which are portrayed negatively, from uh, King Saul to Judas. It's it's never God's plan for a person. Uh, it's not way things are meant to be. But it does not, it's not all, um, explained as, described as a sin that will separate us eternally from God. For example, Samson, who caused his own death in pulling down the, uh, the temple and on the Philistines, he took his own life in that way, but he's still listed in Hebrews 11 as one of the faithful. And Romans 8 says that neither life nor death, and not even death by suicide, can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So I am I am grateful that God can be trusted and God is just and fair and can do the right thing. And so we don't need to worry uh, or agonize over whether or not our loved ones are separated from eternally from God or us. We can trust God that they are in God's hands, and that's a good place to be. You have some good endorsements, too. Kay Warren, of course, Rick Warren's wife. Uh, her son died of a suicide. It says, Grieving a Suicide, your book is one of the most helpful books I've read. After our son Matthew died by suicide, I found Albert Shee's compassionate and practical words even more beneficial than before. And um, 
any other people who have uh, have written to you and and uh, do you have you know where can people go to to learn more not only about your book but about how to overcome some of the uh, the feelings that they deal with emotionally psychologically and even spiritually when it comes to suicide do you have a a website well the, uh, the book is available at university press so ivypress.com and but I do encourage folks to find communities, uh, whether in local churches or suicide survivor loss groups, uh, to, to process together. That uh, that a book can help to some extent, but it always is helpful to be in relationship with other people uh, to, who can walk through this experience with you. Uh, one note about Kay Warren: uh, Yes, they lost their their son Matthew to suicide in 2013, and it devastated them. It was a horrible, devastating experience for them, but. As a result, uh, Kay started Saddleback Church's mental health ministry and started hmm. convening mental health awareness conferences. And so they have very much been working to equip the church and to to talk about it publicly and issues of mental health and illness and depression and the like. And the, the good news is that the church is better, um, I think, now than it was five, ten years ago in, t- in addressing some of these things. And people... People's lives have been saved. Uh, people, by telling Matthew's story, uh, uh, the Warrens and others have been able to say, "If you're struggling, if you're at risk, find help." And 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 they've been able to save lives of people who have been at at risk of suicide. Yeah, you mentioned too. There are facts about suicide in the United States now. This is from 2014, though, and there are probably more. It says 42,773 Americans died by suicide. 117 suicides per day. Suicide is the tenth leading cause of death in the United States. More people die from suicide than from car accidents. And you mentioned that men die by suicide three and a half times more than uh, women. And uh, interesting facts. And um, what's what's the biggest thing you think you learned from doing all the research of this book and just uh, thinking about it and rehashing it and and uh, as it's um, indelibly, I'm sure, impacted your life. Well, as I researched the book and I would, as I would talk to people about the book, so many people would say to me, oh, yes, my cousin or, oh, someone in my church, my college roommate. Uh, so many people had a story of a loved one or an acquaintance that died by suicide. And it was far more common than anybody realized because nobody talked about it until it happened. And so part of it is the awareness that it is it is common and Fortunately, all the trends have been uh, going in the wrong direction. The Centers for Disease Control last year had a, did a report uh, showing that suicide rates have increased over the last 15 years um, in almost every demographic, uh, and particularly young women, girls, and, and middle-aged men. And so unfortunately, we are experiencing a crisis, uh, a public health crisis in in. Uh, in terms of mental health regarding suicide and depression. But there's also good news of there are resources available. There are communities, there are, there are, there's help available for those who struggle. And, and as we walk alongside each other, we can help each other access those resources, find help, counseling, uh, support, and so on. In the book of Acts, um, in Acts 16, there's actually a story of suicide prevention. Uh, Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi, and an earthquake happened and released them from their chains. And 
the jailer, the Philippian jailer, drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he knew he was going to be held accountable. And Paul cried out, don't harm yourself. We are all here. He intervened in the jailer's hmm. life, prevented him from taking his own life, and gave him purpose and hope. And the jailer became a Christian, and his household gave uh, their lives to Christ. And we can do the same. When we see people at risk, we can say, don't harm yourself. We are all here. We are here for you. And so if there are those that are struggling, those are in crisis, uh, a suicide hotline, uh, one that's easy to remember is 1-800-SUICIDE or uh, save.org is a suicide prevention website. There, there are resources available to help you in the midst of the struggle. It's an important subject. You've really uh, shined a lot of light on it and shining the light of Christ on this subject in your book. Uh, Dr. Albert Shee has been our special guest. The book, Grieving a Suicide, a Loved One's Search for Comfort, Answers, and Hope. And you have a quote, Brokenness is not the end of the story. Our pain is deep, but it is not all-encompassing. Our loss is enormous, but it is not eternal. And death is our enemy, but it does not have the final word. We appreciate all the work and effort on the book, and uh, thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me.